Hey friends, you are listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. To learn more about Grace Story and how you can get plugged into our community, visit gracestory.church. John 4, 1 to 13. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of, of Samaria called Sinkar, near the field, of ja- field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get your living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds from all distraction. I pray that you would settle our spirits this afternoon as we seek to grow closer to you and to others through the preaching of your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present in an especial way this afternoon as we learn from your word about what it means to be truly present in all of our relationships. Amen. Thank you, Curtis. You you may hope that that means something, and it doesn't. It's only a 30-minute hourglass. Um, So, guys, I love that story. I had him read that story for a reason because it's a a really um, good example of Jesus being present with everyone that he meets. And, And there are lots of stories like that. In scripture and I am a big lover of stories I don't know if you knew this about me but I am a big lover of stories and we tell a lot of stories in our house and for as long as I can remember I have been this way I've had this affliction of loving stories and some of my fondest memories as a child were sitting at home in a hammock under the porch in our backyard with a book in my hand or, or snuggled up next to the fireplace reading some book series that I have just 
just immersed myself in, and, and I learned something about stories. Have you guys noticed that there are very few things in life that can compare to the ability of stories to capture our attention? Like, we can sit in front of a movie and for like two or three hours and give it our undivided attention. And, and if it's a good story, we're just there, right? We're captivated by it. But I struggle to sit in these pews for like 30 minutes while somebody's up here giving a sermon without my mind going all over the place. I'm terrible at that. Um, what about TV series? How many of you guys have like got a hold of some good TV show and in the span of like one or maybe two days sat down and binged watched a whole season of that show, right? Like that's something that we do. And if you're not of the, the persuasion for movies and TV shows and you're more into books, um, I have memories in the last like five years, like in my adult life, of, of grabbing a hold of a book or, or having a book grab a hold of me and for like a whole week, I'm up like until two or three and six o'clock in the morning because I can't put this book down. I just keep telling myself one more chapter, just one more chapter. And I get to the end of that chapter and I'm like, just one more chapter. I got to know what comes next in this story. And, and what is it about stories that so captivate our minds? What is it about the stories that does this to us? And I have... I have a theory. I have a theory. I think that stories are, are like a shadow of the kingdom on the universe. Stories are a shadow of the kingdom on the universe. They're like echoes of eternity in our present day. And the thing about this, guys, is that our hearts were created for eternity. We were created not for the, the temporal, not for just this life, but we were created with eternity in mind. And so when we present these things, when we bring these, these stories into proximity of our hearts, our hearts leap for those things. We're drawn to them like magnets, and we can't help but respond. I'll give you another example. So, so the ocean, how many of you guys love going to the beach? Like, every, yeah. Lots of emphatic nods. Everybody loves going to the beach. And, and when we go to the beach, um, we love watching the waves crash on the sand. And, and we're drawn to this because it reflects something about the nature of God. And our hearts resonate with what we witness. There's something about the ocean that reflects the vastness, the consistency, the peace the, the hidden treasureness of God. And, and when our hearts see it, they cry out for more. And so you see, we love stories because they echo truths about the kingdom. They echo truths about God, and our hearts respond. And stories tell us that good triumphs over evil, right? That, that love prevails over hatred. That all things will be good in the end. They tell us... Uh, that, it's, that there are things worth fighting for, that there are treasures to be uncovered, and that there's more to this life than the mundane. And, and in our house, we tell a lot of stories to our kids, and, and there's a particular memory that I have of when, when Eden was little. And 
I was sitting on the edge of her little toddler bed, and, and I was telling her one of those stories that I tell. And, and my stories usually involve, like, high adventure and, and rescue and magic and swords. And, and you know, there's treasure to be found, and, and they're just they're epics, you know. And, and, and after I got done, Eden was just laying there on her little bed, and she was staring up at the ceiling, and she was real pensive. And she, I could tell just the wheels in her brain were turning. And so I just sat there and I watched her. And after a couple of minutes, she says, Papa, do you sometimes wish that magic was real? And I hope, I hope that I never forget that. Because that, that, is, the, that, is, like what, that is the cry of our own hearts, right? We long for something more than the experience that we have in this life. And that's because we weren't created for this world. We were created for a kingdom that has no end. But listen, they tell us a lot more than that too. Stories help us answer the great questions in life, right? They, they, the Bible is full of these wonderful, beautiful stories that teach us how to live our lives. They, they're stories that tell us what God expects of us, of why we're here, and, and what he wants for us to do in our time here. They tell us how to live and how to act, how to love one another, what a family looks like. They tell us that we're supposed to be imitators of King Jesus' character and life. But listen to this. Our be like Jesus calling, it doesn't stop at do good things, don't do bad things. Right? It's not just about Jesus' Jesus's character. We're called to be imitators of Christ, not just on the level of his character, but we're also to be imitators of Christ in his mission. So Christ came to do what? To save the world, right? Christ came to break down all these barriers that, that stood between us and the Father, and, and, and between us and one another, between you and me, and to invite us into a relationship that with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And guys, when he left, he passed that baton on to us. So we're not just supposed to be like Jesus in what we do, but we're supposed to be like Jesus in that we have been commissioned to further his mission. We are to be ambassadors in this world. We are to make disciples of all nations. And, and that's something we're supposed to be doing, and that's what this sermon series is about at its, at its core, okay? So what we're doing is we're looking at these reflexes that we call reflexes for neighborly living. And we call them reflexes for a reason. So a reflex is something that you do without thinking about. So like the way that you grasp your pen when you go to write, that's a reflex. You don't have to think about it, but it was something that you had to learn. And whenever I teach on, on reflexes, I, I like to use the example of riding a bike. So how many of you guys remember learning how to ride a bike? Some of you. How many of you guys remember teaching a kid how to ride a bike? Right? So the thing is, we don't come into this world knowing how to ride a bike. That is not something that is innate. We, it's not instinctive to us, and we have to be taught. And when you first learn how to get on a bike, 
It is foreign to us. It is weird. It's alien. It's new. We have no idea what we're doing, and we're nervous. And then somebody teaches us, like, okay, first you put your foot here, and you kick off, and you hold your your handlebars like this, and you try to balance, and, and then you do those things, and you fall down, and you skin your knee, and you get back up, and you go a couple of feet, and you fall down, and you repeat this process. And then you go a lot of feet, and then you go to the end of the driveway, and then you go down the street, and then over time, what happens? is what was once foreign becomes familiar, right? What was once new becomes normal. And, and you're still not an expert at it. Like, you still have to think about it. You still have to, like, okay, when I'm, when I'm getting on the bike, I got to stand this way. I got to put the pedal here so that when I push down, I go and get some speed so I can, I can actually balance. And, but you fall over less, and it's become normal. And then we will learn more and more until the point of what was once new that has become normal becomes natural. What was foreign became familiar, became second nature. And, and we even use bike riding as an example. We, when we say you're going to pick up something, you're like, oh, it's just like riding a bike, right? Like that, that's the phrase that we use to talk about something that's reflexive, is riding a bike. And so these reflexes are called that because we have to come to a point where they are second nature. Our goal for these things is for them to become so a part of who we are that we will do them without having to even Think about it. And it's going to take practice. You are not going to get it off the bat. It's going to take practice. And, and, and we're, going to, we're going to walk with each other through this. We're going to encourage one another through these things. We're going to help one another. But we are going to learn these reflexes. And so last week we, took the, we looked at margin. Kurt walked us through that where we learned to steward our time and our resources so that, so that we can become effective agents of love. And tonight we're going to be looking at a reflex that we call arrival. And then next week we're going to be looking at a reflex called subversion, and that, which is the art of creative disruption, like breaking down those, those cultural barriers that would stop us from loving people. And then Ben is going to preach on apprenticeship, which is the art of um, showing genuine interest. It's, it's the art of, of, of taking a posture of less than so that we can actually learn to, to feel and to understand and to listen to people. And then we're going to end with the reflex of narration, which is the art of storytelling. And there we're going to learn what, um, how to help our neighbors make sense of their lives in the light of God's story. And so what you're going to notice, guys, I'll, I'll give you a hint. What you're going to notice as we go through these reflexes is that they are dependent on one another. They're like the spokes on a wheel, and it will not turn if you don't have all of the spokes. And, and you can be the absolute best person in, in this, this entire church at apprenticeship, but if you don't have margin and you don't have a rival, you will never be at a point where you are, you have the time and, and you have the, uh, the presence with, with somebody to be with them mentally and physically to actually become an apprentice of them. And, and you might be wonderful at narration, but man, if you don't have margin, you will never have the ability to actually tell somebody the story of God's grace through his gospel. So as we go through these reflexes, here's what I don't want us to do. I don't want us to look at these reflexes as a personality test. 
Okay? I don't want us to look at these reflexes as some kind of like Enneagram where you figure out like which one you are, right? Like, okay, I, I, I am the subversion expert. I can like, I suck at, at arrival, but you know, this person's better at that. I'll let them take that. Or man, I'm really good at narration, but I, I think because I'm so good at narration, I kind of get a pass on the margin thing. Um, it doesn't work like that. In order for us to, to love God's people in the way that he has called us to love them, it is essential for us to develop all these reflexes. And this is what we were called to. This is what we were meant for. And you will be able to do it by the grace of God. So let's look at arrival. Now, I, guys, I've preached through some of these before. Some of you guys may have remembered the last time we did this a few years ago. I preached through some of these. And for tonight, I was assigned a rival. And I, I pushed against that because, you know, it's a lot easier to preach something you've preached before. I still have all the notes from that out. So I was like, man, why don't I do like one of these that I've already done before? And Ryan was pretty adamant that he wanted me specifically to pe- preach a rival. And I will confess to you, it is not because this is a reflex I am an authority on. Um, and in fact, I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, I, I actually remember, we were at the YMCA before we were working out. We were having a cup of coffee, and, and Ryan and I were talking about these reflexes years ago. And we were just discussing like which reflexes we are the weakest at. And I wish that I had been smart enough to not tell the truth. Because tonight, I'm going to be preaching on the reflex that I struggle with the most. So, God help me, and God help you too. So, arrival is the art of being present. And when we read these stories of Jesus, we see that there is never a moment in his life where he is unprepared to be present with any human contact that he has. Right? You look at all of the stories of Jesus, and wherever he is, he's fully there. He is fully aware. He is in the moment. He is never out in La La Land. And like he, the story we just read at the well, he's there. Um, the story of, I love the story of the blind beggar. So on the way to Jericho, before he, he walks into Jericho, the, the story of the blind beggar is that he, the, this beggar's sitting outside of the road, and the, Jericho had found out that Jesus is coming. So they had flooded out, and there, there's all this crowd outside, and, and Jesus is walking through with his disciples on his way into Jericho, and the blind beggar says, he senses that there's like a crowd, and he's like, yo, what's going on? Like, somebody tell me, why, why is everybody out here? And they tell him that Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And so he starts hollering for Jesus. And the disciples, they're like, all right, come on, you know, like, get out of here. He doesn't have time. We, we, we got somewhere to go. And Jesus, he rebukes the disciples, and he gets down with this blind beggar. And he, sa- he, he, he arrives fully in his presence. And he says, what is it that you would have me do for you? He's fully there in the midst. I mean, it's a, it's a miracle that Jesus even heard him among all of the people that are crowding around him. But then that he would stop and, and be fully present with this, this blind beggar that called out to him. And you know the rest of that story? Jesus heals him and, and the blind beggar follows him into, into Jericho. And, and then if you keep reading, the next story is another story of Jesus being present. It's, as soon as he walks through the gates, we, we get the story of, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Zacchaeus, right? So if you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, I'll tell you who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. 
And he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Right. So Zacchaeus, if you, if, you, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know who Zacchaeus is. And so Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And man, people hated tax collectors. And you might hate tax collectors, but they really hated tax collectors because these guys were corrupt. What they would do is they would gather the taxes for the government, but then they would tell you that you owe a lot more than you actually owe, and then they would pocket the difference. And so it says here that Zacchaeus was not only a wee little man, he was a rich little man too. And so Jesus, when he arrives, he sees Zacchaeus and he says to him, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm coming to your house today. And so we see in these two stories that that Jesus arrives fully into the presence of the poor and the lowly. And Jesus fully arrives in the presence of the rich and the outcast. And no matter where you are in life, what station you are in, Jesus arrives fully in your presence. And then the story of of Mary and Martha. I love this story because I feel like this is the story of me and my brothers. And I see this story just played out in like my children at the house like every day, you know. And and so in this story, Mary is the one that does the arriving. So a Mary arrives in the presence of Jesus. And it says that she's sitting at his feet and she's just soaking up every word that Jesus has to say. And Martha, her sister, is not. So Martha, because Jesus is in her house, is, I imagine, she's in the kitchen, she's making preparation, she's banging pots and pans around because Jesus is in her house, and and she's getting flustered because she sees Mary out there who's not doing anything, and so she kind of gets to this boiling point, and she comes in there, and she tells Jesus, she's like, do you not care that, like, Mary's sitting on her fat butt not doing anything, and I'm doing all of the work. Do you not care about that? And I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus is in my house, and there's stuff that needs to be done. And Jesus, he says, Martha, Martha, I can see that you are worried. I can see that you are upset about a great many things. But none of those things are necessary. There's only one thing that is needed, and Mary has chosen the best thing. And I love this story in particular because it shows us very clearly, one, that the enemy of arrival is distraction. The enemy of arrival is distraction. And it also shows that what is urgent is not always important. What feels urgent doesn't always mean it's important. And this is terrible news for us, that the enemy of of arrival is distraction, because we live in a world of distractions. We have very expensive distractions in every single one of our pockets right now. Like, we live in a world that demands our attention. And Harvard did a study a few years ago that showed that 47% of the time, the average person is thinking about something other than what they're doing in the present moment. I'll say that again. 47% of the time, we are thinking about something other than what we are doing in the present moment. In other words, half of the time, our minds are not in the same place as our feet. 
In fact, statistically, half of you guys aren't here right now. Like, that's the truth. This is one of the hardest jobs in the world is to keep the attention of people for half of an hour. And, and you guys, what if, what if the way the enemy wants to destroy you is by distracting you? Maybe he knows that the way to destroy your family is to distract you to the point where you're not the parent that your children need. Or distract you to the point that while you may be married to your spouse, you're not present in your marriage. We must resist distraction. And, and guys, the first step that we can take in doing this is to give attention to your attention. Ask yourself where your mind is. What, what are you thinking about? Where, what, is your mind in the same place as your body? And at least half the time we know that it's not. And if it's not, where is it? What are we thinking about? Where, where are we mentally if we are not here right now? And I think there are two main places that our mind lives when it doesn't live in the same place as our body. In the first place, it's not actually a place. It's, it's not a question of where. It's a question of when. It's not, it's not a location. It's a time. So often our minds are either in the future or they're in the past. Right? If we're not, if we're not in the now... Our minds go one way or the other, in the future or the past. That's why I have this hourglass up here. I like hourglasses because they're a visual reminder of what is past and, and what is still yet to come, right? And, and so often our minds live up here or down here and then right here in the middle. This is the time that's passing us right now. This is the story that's unfolding right now. And so often, we want to be anywhere but right here. We play the game of, of when, then, when we're up here. You know, we, we, we get, when I get a promotion, man, then I'll be able to buy that thing that I want. Man, when my kids are out of diapers, God, then I'll be able to do whatever I want and not have to worry about carrying a diaper bag around. When I finish this conversation, man, I'll be able to go home. And man, wouldn't it be nice to be home? Don't I love being home? Our imaginations, they beckon us into anywhere other than right here. Our imaginations, they, they just draw us. They, they woo us. They call us into thinking about the future. And it's there that we entertain realities that don't exist. And, and we ignore the only reality that does exist. One of the ways I find myself doing this um, is, is with my kids. And I'll walk into a room. So, you know, we have four kids. And, and we have four very messy kids. And so I'll walk into a room in my house. And it will just, there will be baby dolls everywhere. And there will be a thousand pieces of computer paper that's got like one little doodle on it. And, and there will be blankets everywhere making forts and Legos that I'm trying to avoid like landmines. And, and in those moments, I'll just think like, man, I can't wait. Like at some point, I'll be able to walk around my house and every room in my house I'll walk into and there will not be toys that I have to kick out of my way. Right? And, and I, I think this as though it's a good thing. And the reality is, guys, is, is I know. I know what's going to happen. 
there's going to be a day some point in my future when I walk through my home and I walk in every room and there's no toys. And when that day comes, do you know where my mind's going to be? It's not going to be in that moment. It's going to be down here, right? And I'll be playing a different game at that point. I'll be playing the if-only game. I'll be thinking, man, what I wouldn't give to just go back and have like one day of a messy house. You know, where, where in every room I have kids screaming and pulling hair and throwing food and making a mess and crying and not sleeping. And, and what, I, what I wouldn't give to go back and have just one of those days. Or man, if only, man, if only I spent more time like wrestling with them in that mess than hounding them to clean it up. Or man, if only I had been a more present father or a more present spouse. And we do this all the time, don't we? We slip out of the time stream and transport our minds to events that happened in the past or might happen in the future or may never happen at all. It might just be fantasies, right? And, and we live, we don't live anywhere else but right here in the moment. Man, if I could only move to this zip code, yeah, wouldn't that be great? If only my kids could get into this school, wouldn't that be amazing? Man, when I get home from church, I got that roast in that crock pot, I, I can taste it right now. Isn't that going to be wonderful? Our minds get distracted by a future we can't control and a past that we can't change. And guys, this up here, this is not promised to us. We, we have no guarantee that we'll have any of this. In fact, we can't even see it. We have no idea what's going to happen. We have no control over our future. And this down here, all of the regrets that we have, we can't change it. We can't go back. We can't undo any of that. So don't allow your mind to dwell there at the sacrifice of being present in the lives of the people now. And I've found that oftentimes in my own life, this sort of distraction of, of either there or there, it's rooted in a lack of faith in God. Because if, if we truly had the faith that he redeems our past and that he is good in our future, we wouldn't dwell on those things. And we would be fully engaged with the person that is in front of us in the moment. The other main place that our mind goes to is our obsessions. Right? So, so we're either living here or living here, or we, our minds go to these obsessions. And guys, we have whole temples full of obsessions in our lives. And our hearts love to just tabernacle in those temples of obsessions. And they might look different for every single person in this room. Maybe you obsess about, about work, or maybe you obsess about sports, or, or, or your hobbies, or your yard, or, or music, or, or, or how many likes you have on social media. Or, or maybe, maybe you obsess about 
what other people think about you or, or how, how clean your house is or, or your kids. Or, or who, who, there's all kinds of things that we can obsess about. And, and they distract us, and they cause us to worry, and they cause our mind to wander off of the present. And, and it's to all of these things that Jesus would say, Martha, Martha, I can see that you are deeply concerned about these things. I can see that, that they are weighing on your mind. But none of these things are necessary. There's only one thing that's necessary. And here's the thing, guys. If our mind isn't where our body is 47% of the time, we are missing out on the life that God has given us. That same study that I mentioned, it found that when people's minds were elsewhere, they were less happy. When people's minds were elsewhere, they were less happy. And in the study, the, the moments that people were the happiest was when their minds were where their bodies were, when they were in the moments, and, and even specifically mentioned having conversations with people. That's when people were happiest. You can't be happy where you are not. You can't serve Jesus where you are not. You can't love people where you are not. You can't be a great friend if you are not there. You can't be a good spouse if you are not there. You cannot be an engaged parent if you are not there. Arrival is about learning to love people with your presence. So how do we do this? A minute ago, I briefly mentioned the first step. Do you remember? Pay attention to your attention. That's the first one. So pay attention to your attention. And when, when you find your mind going elsewhere, pull back. Do something about that. Resist that. And ask yourself why you desire to be somewhere other than where you are. Is this desire rooted in reality? Or is it rooted in fantasy? Are you looking to escape why, are your, why is your mind wandering? Be cognizant of when your mind tends to leave the present. Second, prepare ahead of time. Guys, I found that when, when I'm being intentional with my relationships, like if, if I'm inviting somebody over to my house for, for the purpose of, of loving them, like I just know that they need something that I have for them. They're longing for something. They're hurting or, or, or they need a certain kind of encouragement. I, I will pray for them before they come over, before I meet them for coffee. And, and I have found that in those moments, when I'm intentional about preparing to arrive with somebody, I'm a lot more successful at it. So when you know you're going to be entering a space where you'll share time with other people, pray first. Before you go to the coffee shop, pray. Before you go to work, Pray. Before you go to the grocery store, pray. Before you come to church, before you go to your friend's house for dinner, before you go to game night, before wherever you are going to be around people, pray. Ask God to prepare you to meet people in your day with your full presence. Be, be willing and, and that you would be ready to, to be there with and for the people that you meet. 
that you would be able to give them your full attention. Remind yourself that, that God, God's will for your life is not that you get it perfect. God's will for your life is that you be present. And if we can prepare ourselves in this way, there will be fewer moments in our day where, where we are unprepared for human contact. There will be fewer moments where, where we, we get like irritated with people because we haven't had our coffee. There will be fewer moments where, where we have to ask people to, to repeat what they just said because our mind was elsewhere. We'll actually listen to what people are saying instead of planning what we're going to say when they stop talking. And lastly, the third, love the right stories. Man, I can't stress this enough. So we started tonight spending time talking about how stories are, are the shadow of the kingdom on the universe and how they, they possess the ability to hold our minds captive. And, and there are many beautiful, captivating stories in Scripture about, about the life of Jesus. But do you want to know the best part of that story? It's that it's still being written. The story of Jesus, the greatest story in the history of the world, it's still being written. It's a living, breathing biography, and it's played out in the lives of you and me. The story didn't end when the king ascended. The mission was passed on to us. And if we remember this story, if we can remind ourselves that, that we play a part in a story that is going to be told for eternity in heaven, in the new Jerusalem, if we can remind ourselves of that, and if we fall in love with this story that we've been invited into, then guys, like stories do, our minds will be held captive but it'll be held captive in the present as it unfolds before us. And if we do these three things, paying attention to our attention, prayerfully preparing for arrival, and remembering the story being written now, we will begin to fully engage with the people in front of us. We will fully arrive in the moment, and we'll be able to love people in a way that they are desperately longing to be loved. And, and we'll be able to invite them into a relationship with God and into a community of, of believers that has changed our lives forever. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what you were made for. That's what we are praying for. And those are the reflexes that we are practicing. So next week, we're going to continue this study by going over subversion. And you'll see how arrival is necessary for subversion. And you'll see how subversion is necessary for apprenticeship, which is necessary for narration. And you'll see how all of the spokes of this wheel just fit together to create us into the kinds of human beings that love God and love one another and love our neighbors well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us the example of what it looks like to be present. Lord, we confess that often we are, we are just preoccupied with anything other than the present. Our minds are wandering minds. We look to the future with worry and with hope of things that we have no control over. We look to the past 
with worry and regret at things that we can't change. And we confess that when it comes to this reflex of, of, of being present, we are failures. We pray that, that you would prepare our hearts, that you would help us climb up on that bike, and that we would begin the practice of mastering the art of arrival. That we would be aware of the distractions in our lives, that we would, we would know that the, we face great danger in allowing our lives to pass by with our minds not present. Lord, we ask that for the sake of our children, of our marriages, of our community, of our church, that you would shape us into the kind of people that are intentional with our presence. That when we are with one another, we are with one another fully. We thank you that you have given us an example to follow in this. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Story Church podcast. For more resources and information on our church, visit gracestory.church.